Good morning. I'll be reading um, from 2nd and 3rd John, which begins on page 1862 of the Pew Bible. The Elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares the, in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Third John, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name.
Thank you. Good morning. Happy Fourth of July on the third. Heston and I were running up to a, a store on the east side on Friday late afternoon, and the traffic merging was amazing, and they were all Illinois plates. So I would not want to be in the Dells right now. Wall-to-wall -wall Illinois. I'm Mike, part of the staff here. It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to open up 2nd and 3rd John. We're uh, starting a series that's just three weeks long. It's called The Tiny Books. Humongous Truth in Tiny Books. And today we're going to hit 2nd and 3rd. I hope you heard as was being read that there's a contention that John is feeling. John is now, um, he's writing 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in later stage of life, somewhere in the 80s or 90s, um, 50, 60 years after Jesus and the Gospels were walked out. The Gospels have probably been written now. And, and John has been watching this church and he addresses 2nd John to the elect lady. What a great phrase for the church. And he's giving honor. It's God's, the bride of Christ. And he says, I write to you. And I noticed that, he said, I feel good about some of your children. It's good to see that some of your children are walking in truth. And that probably was a bit of a rub to him. It would be much greater for John in his later years to say, it's great to see all of your children walking in truth. But there was some things creeping into the church that he was writing to that he wasn't very happy about. And that's really the basis of 2nd and 3rd John. Have you ever noticed that life happens in cycles? And that things are really good and we buckle, you know, we bear down and we do things, we get it right, and then we kind of get not lazy, but we back off a little bit. And we allow it to just kind of flow. And pretty soon, we look around us and we go, we have this, oh my moment. How did we get here? How did things get messed up? And the mind has this amazing ability to see a few good things and apply it to everything else. Frank Pekovich and I were having breakfast this week talking about a, another issue. And we were talking about golf as we were waiting for breakfast to be served. And he said, have you ever noticed that you can go out and you can hit a 90, 95, which isn't a terrible score, but there's those half a dozen shots that are just great. And all of a sudden your mind takes you to a place where that's your norm. And you're thinking you should be on tour. You know, and all of a sudden you forget about the 80, 90 bad shots or mediocre shots. And your mind all of a sudden has you in this place where you're just focusing on these really good things and that becomes all you can see. So when you do hit a bad shot, it's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Well, that happens in life. We go along and we get it right. And we kind of take the foot off the gas. We coast a little bit. Things are good. Nothing's wrong. But we're not growing. We're not 
paying attention to all of it. And John is kind of writing from that place, looking at this fledgling church who's doing good. And he says, I want to give you a command. Now, this isn't a new command. This is a command that you got back from Jesus and has been reiterated along the way. He says, I want you to love one another. Well, that sounds like really easy to do. After all, we're Christians. Let's just love one another. But he puts it in the context of another word, truth. He puts it in the context of walk in truth in love. And that's a little bit different because our culture, we want to define truth by things that we enjoy. We want to define truth out there by what feels good, by what we want to do. But in here, it's different because truth defines our love. Usually for a group of people like this to be together, we would have to have some kind of commonality. But if you look around you, go ahead and look. Who's like you? Nobody. You know, we all look different. We're male, female, rich, poor, great jobs, looking for a job, degrees on the wall, hoping to finish school. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that make us different from one another, except for one thing. And that's the truth that resides in each other. In the world, we have all these affinity groups. People like to bike. People like to ski. People like to do all these variety of things, and they kind of hang together. In church, we're not defined by personal stuff. We're defined by Jesus. And so the table, the communion table, was, was open and shared this morning, and Nick talked about the beauty of truth that has brought us to that point, that dinner, that meal that was shared, and then continues to take us and will be our reality until Jesus comes back, and then it will just be better. It will be more, it will be complete. But for now, the truth in us is what John says we need to pay attention to and protect. We need to live in love, but we need to protect this truth. Now, love in the context that it's being used has a connotation of obedience. So if I love my wife, Estel, I'm going to do things that are good for her. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to be aware of the environment she's in and that we have in our home. And if it's not healthy, I'm going to fall off the stairs here. I'm going to have to make changes so that it is healthy, so that she can grow and flourish and become the woman that God created and called her to be. That's my responsibility as I love her. It's in that framework. And John is speaking to the church here in that framework, in that context. He's saying truth is the framework that our love makes sense. Truth is the framework that when we love, it makes it look like God's love. And all through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is saying, if you love, if you walk, if you do the things that look like God, then you are a Christian. 
And our lives are the assurance that we are Christians because we don't look like the world. We're not defined by pleasure. We're not defined by what feels good. We're not defined by what makes everybody happy. We're defined by something much more singular, and that's the truth of God. And so John is saying three things in 2 John. Four things. He's saying love one another, but then walk in that love. Be careful because there are those who want to destroy what you have and are in the church and you're not aware. And three, be smart. Do the right thing when you discover that there's a breach. And he's writing it in the plural, he's writing it to the churches because it's easy to fall into that cycle where, you know, the church was dispersed, there was a little bit of persecution, Rome was, or, uh, Jerusalem was burned. All this has happened and the church has flourished. And it's a little bit like High Point is right now. Eight to 10 years ago, there were some things, there were some trouble spots and the church banded together and did right things and grew and brought Nick in and the, God, the word has been preached and the gospel's been declared and there's been many people come to Christ and, and people are growing in their faith and it seems that everything is so good. And you know what? It is. But that's the point that John's writing to. He's saying, I'm not going to give you something new. I'm going to take you back to something old. Love one another. And maybe another way of saying this is enjoy what you have, but pay attention that you don't lose it. Because it's good. In fact, he says that to the elect lady to the, in the passage. It's critical that we recognize that what we have is not just for ourselves, but what I have when I came to the cross was salvation because of the truth that was revealed in Jesus. And now I have this life that's not just unto God, it's also unto you. And you have that same life and truth and responsibility unto me and the person next to you because we're the body, we're the family, we're unique because it's not what drives us, it's what we are full of, Christ. And that truth must be protected. It's easy in this day and age when churches do all kinds of different things to draw a crowd. And when you look at the church spectrum in the United States, it's amazing the arguments that are being dealt with that have very little to do with the gospel. In fact, most of them have nothing to do with the gospel, but everything to do with the world. But we're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. This truth cradled in love is our defining point. But the love that is part of that framework compels us towards each other to love one another and to protect this environment of truth 
in each other. Each of us have a responsibility to encourage one another, to speak truth to each other. When you see someone not living out their confession, to say, hey, what's going on? I know you confess this, but I see this. Can you help me with, understand? What are you doing? We say, well, that's not politically correct. No, but it's really healthy. When our kids are acting up, we discipline them. Now, discipline is a process, and it always ends with affirmation, but it's corrective in nature. That's loving. And John is saying, you need once again to redefine love in the context of truth amongst you. Because there are people coming in and teaching things that just simply aren't true. There's a mistheology that's happening around the deity of Jesus. You need to stop that. He's not telling them to put locks on the doors of their building or their lives. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you need to be wise. You need to be aware that while we are inviting to everyone, while we are discovering and celebrating this truth, there's an enemy out there that would seek to split the good that's happening here, that would seek to change, to twist, that would seek to draw attention to people instead of Jesus. And if you let that happen, it will hurt you. If you let that happen, you'll begin to get your eyes off of Jesus. My grandfather was a pastor for 50 years, and he always would tell me, Mike, when something new happens or there's some kind of trend in the church, keep your eyes on Jesus because one degree to the right will be flesh and one degree to the left will be Satan. Just keep looking at truth. Keep measuring it by truth. Keep checking to see if there's love. Keep checking to see if you're exactly where the Father wants you and the Holy Spirit's empowering you to be. And if you can do that, you'll be okay. Truth and love are something that go together like hand and glove. When I was with Billy Graham, spent a lot of time traveling, and there was a school in town called SES, Southern Evangelical Seminary. They were known to be an apologetic school. Well, it wasn't my cup of tea, but a good friend of mine was the uh, president of the school, Dr. Alex McFarland, and he said, you know, this would be good for you. I had a lot of time on airplanes and hotels, so I agreed it would be good for me. So I jumped in, and they had a, a church on campus, and every once in a while, they would invite me to come and preach, but they would always give me a caveat. They would say, preach on the love of God. And I'm like, okay. But it became a little weird when it was the same thing four times later. Preach on the love of God. Well, every time I would preach, in, there were two sections of seats. In the fourth seat and the second bench, there was an older man that sat there. And he was always copiously writing. And I didn't know who he was. But afterwards, he would always come up and say, thank you for preaching about God's love. I'm like, okay, sure. 
the fourth time it happened, he had a book in his hand, and he said, here, I want you to have this as a thanks. And I looked at it, and it's the Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics by Norman Geisler. I looked inside, and he had written to Michael, many thanks, Norman Geisler. I had no idea that's who was sitting there. And I said to him after I read that, I said, why? Why are you thanking me about preaching about the Father's love? He said, because this is an apologetic school. We're a bunch of walking hard drives. We just want to know the facts so we can win the argument. But that wasn't God's purpose. God's purpose was that truth would be known. And most of the students here have no idea that the very truth that they know can drive people away if it's not held in the context of love. It's the love that draws us in. It's the love that allows me to go up to somebody and say, because they know me, they love, I, they know I love them, that allows me to ask, what's going on with you? And to encourage them and to ask those difficult questions. And we have the ability to do that with each other because we're family. Because it's not about hoping he likes me, it's about the truth that indwells him and the truth that indwells me and the desire that truth be made known so that we live in the freedom that that truth produces. It's critical for each one of us to understand this. And, and John, way back then, with a fledging church, said, listen, there are things going on that your eyes aren't open to. Pay attention. And when you see these things happening, put a stop to it. Don't stop being loving. In fact, love more. Because when we love more, we're in each other's life. We're encouraging one another. We know what's going on. It's not just this, hi, how are you, fine passing. But it's the sharing of truth. It's the sharing of, of struggles in light of that truth. It's the sharing of, of finding out the reality of, of help and hope for those struggles in light of that truth. But it's all in the context of I love you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to love you and to encourage you and to let you know that I am voting for you. I am your fan club. And when we treat each other like that, there's not room for falsehood because we know one another. We care for one another deeply. And so we have things like small groups where we can go and we can open up our lives and we can struggle with truth. We can struggle with the reality of everything else in our life against that truth. But because it's in the context framed by love, we're safe. And we can speak and be heard and be spoken to in a safe manner. In places where there is falsehood, that's not possible. It's only in this context. It's one of the things that makes the church unique. We're safe. We're meant to be safe.
That's why we have commands against gossiping and rumors and, and all these things that can be destructive. We don't practice those things because we choose to love. We choose to participate in a way that is loving, in a way that brings good. Now, I don't do it because of duty. You don't do it because of duty. We do it because we love. If, if there's obedience without love, it becomes duty. But when obedience is in the, cradled by love, then truth can be dealt with without fear. There's no condemnation in Jesus or in, in the church in Christ because that's not our goal. That's the goal of the world, is to condemn, to find fault. We live in this fault-finding culture. Everybody wants to speak into something and to prove they're right. Everybody wants to condemn something so they can rise to the top of the heap. And that's not the church. John says, be aware of that kind of behavior because that kind of behavior will distract you from the truth in you. Third John is singular in its writing, and it's written to a guy named Gaius. And it's almost an illustration of Second John where he's writing in the plural, and he says, walk in truth and love, practice hospitality, be discerning, be aware of the false teachers, do the right thing, shut them out, and encourage one another. He writes to Gaius, and he just gives him praise because Gaius practices good hospitality. People are welcome, but the truth is safe. He practices discernment, which in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that we have discernment because of the spirit within us. We can tell during the series of 1 John, one of the sermons Nick preached about it was that our spirit within us jives with God's spirit. And we come across a spirit that is not of God, our spirit gets all prickly. We can tell, ooh, that's wrong because of this truth spirit within us, because of the Holy Spirit present. And John is saying of Gaius, this guy gets it. He practices healthy hospitality. He discerns when there's problems. He receives missionaries well. He sends people out well. And they're all about the truth. They're not about their own agenda. But this other guy, Diotrophilus, he's, he's, he wants his own way. ESV, it says he speaks wicked about the brothers. And John says, if I come, I'll deal with him because he's not to be among us. And that sounds like pretty harsh language. After all, isn't this a PC culture where what we do is politically correct, we don't offend? And John's like, no, you wouldn't do that in your family. You would protect. How many parents have ever said to their kids, I don't want you hanging around with them anymore? How many of you have had that said to? You know, because our parents have this authority and ability to love us and responsibility, and they, they're watching out for us, and they're saying, yeah. And we're like, yeah, but they're my friend. And they're saying, they're not good for you. 
Mark my words. Okay. Or, well, I'll show you, and pretty soon, Dad, I'm in jail. Can you come get me? And we run those scenarios because we didn't listen. And John is saying, church, listen. Gaius does a good job over here. This guy, he's trouble. And he goes to the point where he says, if I come, I'm going to deal with him. And there are times in the church when we have to deal with things. We have to deal with people because they're robbing the riches that we have as the church because of this truth within us, they're diluting. And so it behooves each of us to make sure that we're fully aware of what truth is, especially in the culture that we live in. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there. And a lot of it's in the name of God. It's in the name of good. It's in the name of truth. It's easy for some to be gullible. And John says, watch for each other. Be careful. He's doing a good job. Pay attention the way he's doing it. This guy, don't be like him. In 3.11, it says, don't imitate evil. Do what is good. I was visiting a church in uh, Tyson's Corner, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. It's, it's a growing, fledgling church of about 24,000 people. And they're on five campuses, and it's, it's a great atmosphere and spirit. And the, the home campus, they run around 8,000 or so, big auditorium. And, and uh, the pastor got done uh, preaching, and he had gone through the historical text and the background and the theology, and he threw his hands up, and 8,000 people at the top of their voice yelled, so what? The guy next to me worked for USAID on a project we were working on, looks at me and he goes, every Sunday. They looked at scripture, but then asked the question, so what? What does that have to do with us? So John, what does that have to do with us, High Point Church, today? Well, like I said earlier, things are really good at High Point Church. We're healthy. There are people coming to Jesus. There's a, a prayer groundswell that's happening. You're generous. You're out serving in the community. You're attracting. There's just all these good things. And that's the most dangerous time for a church. Because we remember our seven great strokes. And we forgot that we're really not professional golfers, but we think we are. And I want to encourage you today for a couple of minutes on that. Don't stop what you're doing. There's 50-some small groups in this church. Praise God. But if you're not in a small group, get in one. 
because we want you to be loved in the framework of truth. If you're in a small group, protect the conversation. Let it be uplifting, let it be godly, let it be centered around truth in the context of love, where it should be safe. Encourage one another so that you can exhort one another. You gotta say a lot of good things about each other before you'll listen to a bad thing or a tough thing. So speak those good things because life happens and there'll become a time when you'll need to say to somebody, what's going on? I'm a little confused and I think you need some help. And for them to hear that, they need to know that you love them and you've been consistent in your behavior towards them and in your language. But you need to be in the small group context because sitting here on Sunday morning looking the back at somebody else's head isn't how you build community. But you need the truth of God's word. We need to see each other in this place so that when we go into that home, when we come together, there's meaning because this is my tribe. And it's not based on what they like. It's based on who Jesus is. In the fall, we're starting up uh, a really intensive, well-laid-out growth class series. It's been called a lot of things from ACE to a variety of things. But classes on Sunday morning, there'll be some classes and other times. And I want to encourage you, those aren't just so people who enjoy to teach have a place to teach. They're so that the church understands Scripture. They're so that when we have this conflict outside, we can address it with truth. When there's a conflict inside, we can address it with truth and know what's going on. More than that, if we understand truth, we won't have conflicts inside because we'll all be functioning from the same playbook. And those who have a different playbook bring, coming in won't be allowed in because we'll understand that's false. That's not what Jesus said. That's not the way the, whole, the Old Testament was meant to be understood. That's not Pauline. That's Josephine. That's over here. We don't go that way. We stay true to God's word. And so regardless of the depth of teaching, it doesn't do anybody any good if there's not listeners, if there's not hearers, if those hearers don't take and practice. And let's continue to be that teaching church. Let's continue to be that church that's deep in their understanding of God's word. Let's be that kind of church where in small groups there's good, solid discussion about truth, about the Bible, the Gospels, the intent of the Father, the life and work of Jesus, so that it's rooted, it's founded, we don't have to wonder where that came from. Was that the Bible or Reader's Digest? Well, no. The third area I'd like to talk to you just for a minute, and it's different because it's on the other side of the, the meter. It's the area of children. Now, we've been looking for a, a children's director for a while, 18 months or so. And 
In the meantime, we've had some wonderful people step up to maintain the level that Children's was at, and Children's was at a really good place. We just have not been able to find that one person to take and to lead into the next step of growth for children. So Gwen and Charity and, and Heather have just stepped up and do a phenomenal job, and it's good. But when something becomes good, it becomes invisible. And somebody said to Gwen a couple weeks ago, kids has been running so good, I forgot we needed a children's director. Well, we do. But the other problem with where we're at is one of the ways that we protect truth is to be aware of all ages in protecting truth, whether it's in this room, in a small group, in a classroom. I guess right now they're back here. But one of the practices of High Point Church has been there's a lot of people that give themselves of their time uh, throughout the school year and teach children. We give those people the opportunity to take the summer off, as it were, just to come to service and to not be here both hours, their families waiting or whatever. And so we did that, and many of you got an email from Heather and from Gwen um, in April and May telling you about that and asking you to help teach our children. There were two families that responded. After the third or fourth email, Gwen came to me in tears one day and she said, what's wrong with our church? Why aren't we teaching our children to make sure that they have the foundation of truth that they need to have? And we talked and we took them steps and got bases covered. And that's not meant to be an accusation, but it's just meant to be sharing us some facts that are reality here at High Point Church. We've got great kids and you've got great families. But in that, we have a responsibility to make sure that truth is built from the lowest age to the oldest. We have a responsibility to make sure that our children are centered in who Jesus is, that they understand sin, that they understand there's a battle for their soul, that they understand what Jesus did, they understand that there's hope, that there's a way to live as a Christian that is not only good but pleasing to God. And this is all part of what John is talking about. We need to protect the walls. We need to protect the integrity of the teaching of truth. Always in the context of loving one another, but doing good one for another, including our children, your families, our families, one another. So I'm going to ask that you examine yourself. How are you living out John's teachings today? Are you aware that while we enjoy great preaching about truth and that centrality of Jesus and, and the Word and how rich it can be in each of our lives, that there are many others out there that want to rob the church of its blessings. And one of the ways it gets robbed is complacency. That it doesn't matter. 
One of the things Nick has said is yesterday's victories don't count today. We still have to live it out. I need Jesus today. I need his truth today just as much as I needed it yesterday, but I still have to live in it today. I don't get to claim, well, I gave my life back to Christ in 56 and then do whatever I want. No. I get to walk in him right now. And I get to make sure that I'm healthy so that I can come alongside you so that you're healthy. And as we're healthy, we get to look around to others and say, are our children healthy? Are our seniors healthy? Are those who are in the hope class healthy? What's going on with the body? Are we acting fully in our capacity? Are we a safe environment? Are we a truthful environment from stern to hell? We can't be complacent. We have to be full of truth. John gave, in 2 John, he gave three blessings. That we live in the grace, that which we don't deserve, but God gives us. That we understand his mercy. That we don't get what we do deserve. And that we would be willing to live in peace one with another that we would walk in that way Paul in Ephesians 4 1 through 6 says walk in a manner worthy of your calling and he starts out walk in humility we all came together in this room at the foot of the cross This represents why we're here together. We needed a savior. We couldn't do it without. We were wrong. We were following falsehood. We needed to come into truth. And he says, be gentle. It's easy to be harsh. It's easy to bring the attitudes of the world into the church. And he says, don't do it. That's not us. This is us, full of truth full of Jesus. And he says, bear with one another. I love that. It just means put up with each other. You're so different, we're going to step on each other's toes at times. He says, put up with each other for the unity of the bond of truth. Put up with each other because of the spirit within you. You have the capacity not to get your feathers ruffled, because somebody does it different. But just make sure that's in the bounds of truth. Then, yeah, we do things differently. Put up with each other, love each other. Then he goes on to tell the reasons why, because we have one faith, one God, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one church. That's what defines us. That's what motivates us. Let's continue. To be a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled, truth-seeking church. But let's do it in such a way that at no point, whether it's philosophies and arguments, 
or neglect of children. Let's not allow those things because we're family, because we are the church. And John says, if you do these things, you'll bring glory to the Father. He'll receive your worship. I don't know if the worship team's in here, and some of them are, but if they can come up. We need to be aware that the centrality of the message is what makes us unique. It's Jesus. We sang that song, Worthy, 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 before the scripture reading. We're going to sing it again. And it's all the descriptors in that song that make us unique, that bring us together, that brought us to this table. And John is just simply saying, protect them. Be aware of them. Be aware that there's falsehood. And he doesn't spend a lot of time on the falsehood. He says instead, love one another. And in that love, you'll do good for one another. You'll speak good one to another. Don't get caught up in their arguments. Be centered in this one. Love each other. That means you've got to know their name. Do you know the name of the person you're sitting next to? Some of you do because you're married to them. But some of you don't. It's okay to ask. Introduce yourself. It's okay to ask. What's God doing in your life? It's okay to ask, how can I pray for you? How can I be of encouragement to you? Because we belong together. We're the church. And the more that we practice those things, the more that this becomes the reality of our lives, there'll be no room for falsehood. There'll be no room for lies. But if we don't practice those things, then our truth becomes legalistic and divisive. Be in love with Jesus and be in love with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's Paul's plea to us, I mean John's plea to us today. As he wrote in 1 John 3.23, he said, God commanded that we believe the truth and love one another. It has to look like this. Amen? Let's stand and let's proclaim the goodness of Jesus his centrality in our lives, his magnificence as our God.